ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If you had to, like I mean had to, give up one of your senses, so sight, smell, touch, hearing, taste, which one would it be? I'll take a guess. Would it be smell? Because a study conducted two decades ago asked people how highly they rated their sense of smell, and that study found... The sense of smell was compared to losing your little left toe, and losing your sense of smell was rated equivalently to losing your little left toe. So rated not very highly at all? That, by the way, is Dr. Rachel Hers. She's a neuroscientist and psychologist. And during the pandemic, when people all of a sudden were losing their sense of smell in large numbers, she thought, now sounds like a good time to revisit that research. We felt like, okay, like here's the moment where people are going to realize that their sense of smell is actually important. So in 2021, Rachel surveyed over 400 people about how highly they valued their sense of smell compared to a whole range of other things. Had people come to their senses and learned to love their nose? Overall participants, about 20% of people would rather give up their sense of smell than their cell phone. Amongst college students in particular, 25%, so a quarter of all college students would rather give up their sense of smell than their cell phone. And amongst women across the board, about 50% of them would rather give up their sense of smell than their hair. This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Why do we seem to take our sense of smell for granted? The people Rachel surveyed were selected at random. They hadn't necessarily lost their smell through COVID. But anecdotally, when you talk to people who did lose their smell when they got COVID, they'll tell you they have a newfound appreciation for it. Reporter Erica Bowles is one of those people, and she has today's episode. In early 2023, I got COVID for the first time. I felt dreadful, exhausted. But the big thing was I lost my sense of smell for about a month. Everything felt bland and weirdly blank, like I was missing certain information that used to always be there. Since my smell has returned, I make a point of smelling the lavender bushes in our neighbourhood. And I'm not alone in experiencing spikes of smell-induced happiness. Here's what people told me about their favourite smells and smells in general at Melbourne's Royal Botanic Gardens. The loss of smell with COVID, etc. I mean, any smell is, is good. I really like the smell of roses and I love the smell of Daphne. I do a lot with horses and I actually really love the smell of horses and <laughs> And not so much the horse poo, but the smell associated with horses always gives me pleasure. Flowers on a nice sunny day, um, yeah, do put me in a good mood. I like citrus smells. I like citrus desserts and I like citrus bath products, citrus-based perfumes. So you're really into citrus? Always citrus. I think the flowers. Yeah, the flowers, like roses, they put you in a, in a good mood. I mean, smell, like all, most of your senses, you don't realise how important they are until you haven't got them. That was Chris, Jane, Bamalka, Deed and Abushek sharing the joy their sense of smell provides them. While many of us are in touch with our sense of smell, for neuroscientist and psychologist Dr Rachel Hers, this relationship is probably deeper than for many others. 
you know, I've always been a sort of sensorily oriented person. I mean, as a young child, I would be like squeezing the bread and my mom would be yelling at me, stop touching the food. And, you know, like sort of trying to get the feel of the environment around me. And I've always been really, really sensitive to sounds and so on and and smells in general. Rachel Hers is also a researcher at Brown University. She's been studying smell for 30 years. For Rachel, smell really became a primary focus during her postgraduate studies. When I first started studying smell for my PhD and recognizing that the more I knew about the scents that I was working with, the more I actually smelled them the more I experienced smell in the world around me. And I thought, this is really interesting. So the more you pay attention and the more you know about the world of smell, the more you're actually perceiving and receiving. I mean, this was sort of a little bit of a light bulb, and this is definitely something that transpires in general. The point is that we do have a relationship with odours, smells and scents, whether we realise it or not. And researchers like Rachel Hers say that smells really can boost our mood. And with respect to my own personal experience, uh, there are certain smells that I really, really like. And I have actually a little bit of a personal apothecary on my work desk of some of my favorite scents that I will then go to and smell when I want a little lift. <laughs> Take me through your the, the smells on your desk. So one of my most favorite scents, which I get to smell outside right now, and in fact, I've just picked some this morning fresh, is uh, the scent of lilac. So I love the scent of lilac flowers. And I have a bottle of sort of pure distilled lilac that I absolutely love, and I will smell that. I also have something called Canadian blue spruce, and I'm actually Canadian. It's a kind of a pine smell, but it's a specific sort of pine. And in terms of lilac, say if you're smelling lilac, does it have a particular effect on you? Is it just it puts you in a happy mood or is it more than that for you? So the scent of lilac, interestingly, is for me just a scent that makes me feel really good. So I smell it. it it's, a, it's a feel good in a kind of a calming, grounding, relaxing way. So I smell it like a deep breath yeah, of my own head of fresh air kind of thing. It's like I feel really good. Okay, move on. Now, there are definitely scents that are very specifically tied to past personal memories, specifically scents of fine fragrances that, for example, I have a little bottle of perfume that my mother used to wear. So when I smell that, which I do occasionally, it kind of reminds me of when I was a little girl and being with her and so forth that we actually lived in Paris for a while. And during that time, this is specifically brings me back to that particular time. But what about the research? What does it tell us about how effectively we can use smells to boost our moods? So uh, I'm always pleased with the um, scent of night flowering jasmine when that is in season. And I expect it to have a pleasant natural fragrance uh, in the middle of the night. Is that something that definitely kind of boosts your mood? Uh, Yes, absolutely. The only problem is I haven't figured out how to capture it in a bottle to have it, you know, whenever you want and wherever you want. Professor Charles Spence is the author of Sense Hacking, which is all about getting in touch with your senses to boost your mood. He's a gastrophysicist, an experimental psychologist, and he heads up the Crossmodal Research Group at Oxford University. Do you think that people can effectively smell their way or smell themselves into happiness, into a better mood? And is there scientific evidence to back this up? I definitely think that... um ambient scent smells uh, can affect our mood, both positively and negatively. The problem is, I suppose, for many of us that we don't really realise that there is a smell around us. A classic example is, you know, the smell of your own home that you 
just don't recognise as they. You think everyone else's home smells of something, um, but it's only when you, we come back from a long trip away and open the front door and suddenly that sort of smell there. And I often wonder, you know, what is that doing to us, especially during um, COVID and such like when so many of us have spent so much of our time, you know, kind of locked in the home environment with this smell. We don't realise it's there. But is it is it uplifting or is it depressing? Does it you know, relax us? Does it uh, arouse us? Does it make us stressed? And if we get these smells right, and probably if in the first place we pay attention to them, then there is uh, a lot of evidence out there uh, that pleasant scents, very often of the uh, floral aromatherapy sort of type of scents, uh, can have a significantly positive effect on our mood and well-being. And that, moreover, one sees the biggest beneficial effects on mood from having a you know scent in the air or sniffing something pleasant uh, under those conditions when we are stressed to begin with. So how much of an impact do smells have on our mood, have on our emotions on a day-to-day sense as we go about our lives? I guess it's hard to quantify exactly how much. It's very hard to capture what, what sense are we exposed to on a daily basis but I guess the best we can do currently is really sort of take some of these smells or scents uh, and bring people into the lab and then look at what impact it has on them by assessing their mood. Normally we do it with a sort of a questionnaire, little short questionnaire about how you're feeling right now and show that those who are exposed to a pleasant scent report being in a better mood uh, shortly uh, thereafter. One of the interests for me is there's been kind of a growing interest generally in sort of the nature effect and the benefits of any one of us getting out into nature. And that's often described in terms of sort of the blues of water, the greens of the plants. But I think, you know, nature is very multisensory, so it's also olfactory. It's also what we smell. And I, I do wonder how much of the nature boost that we see can really be attributed directly to the smell rather than, say, to what we're seeing or the sounds of bird life or water and so on. Professor Thomas Hummel is Professor of Autorhinolaryngology at the University of Dresden Medical School. Autorhinolaryngology covers diseases of the ear, throat and, of course, the nose. He works with patients who are experiencing olfactory or smell dysfunction. And Thomas Hummel conducts research into how the brain processes odours and our perceptions around smell, as well as lots of other things. Thomas Hummel says his clinical work and his research shows that our moods are influenced by what we can smell. I mean, you have to think about it. It's like when you have no sense of smell, you lose uh, social contacts, you don't enjoy foods. This, these are emotional moments. So, you know, when I bite into an apple, this is this, this freshness of the apple, this, this enjoyment, this reward that I have from eating the apple, from this, this fresh apple smell that comes around the corner and enters in my nose, you know, this is so, so beautiful. I, I chew it, you know, this, this, this juicy apple. This is so rewarding. When you don't have a sense of smell, you just bite into the apple and then it's watery and a bit sour. He often sees a link between a lack of an ability to smell things and depressive symptoms. This is what we see in our clinic. This is very clearly there. And when people are treated or they recover from affective dysfunction, then also their depressed their signs of depression improve. So this, this is very clearly there. I just wanted to point out that this is a, a selected population that we have in our clinic. But in this population, we very clearly see this correlation between changes of mood and depression and affective function. You see it also from the other end. So there are very nice studies by done by Bettina Pause in Düsseldorf. 
and she showed some time ago that people with major depression, that they also have affective dysfunction. And when they are treated for their major depression, then also their affective dysfunction resolves, so they become better. In addition to impacts on our moods, Dr. Rachel Hurst says our sense of smell can have profound impacts on how we view our world and make emotional judgments about others. Every minute of every day when we're in our spaces or in the spaces of others, our noses are influencing how we feel about others. And it might be as simple as whether you like the smell of patchouli oil or not. Walking into an environment where someone you assume might be living, there may be an aroma in the background that gives you sort of a feeling of something. You make associations kind of semi-subconsciously about that person and so forth. And that could have either a positive or a negative impact on how we view everything then that the following interaction evolves into with that particular individual. It could be right, but it could be absolutely wrong. And one way I think that's very important in terms of being able to get control over our relationship with ourselves and as well recognizing the importance that scent plays in coloring all of our experiences is to recognize that that is what's happening. And so while we are, you know, experiencing scent, I feel it's extremely important to be aware of it. So every time you walk into a room, you know, take a deliberate sniff. Do you smell something? Yes. What is that making you feel? Okay. Is that actually, if it's something negative, is that actually a fair or accurate representation of what I'm going through? Should I potentially take a step back and try to approach whatever is going on in a more neutral, more open-minded mindset and try to forget that there's like the scent of patchouli in the room that may be giving you associations and, and making you like have certain prejudices about a person and so forth. Potentially that has nothing to do with the individual. One study found people viewing women via a video screen felt they appeared to be anxious because at the time, the smell of sweat had also been released into the room. But experimental psychologist Professor Charles Spence says there's also the story of our nose and the MHC gene. It turns out we can tell quite a lot about another person, uh, orbit subconsciously through the sense of smell, and that can be both whether those we're interacting with would, or whether our offspring uh, would make a good combination with ourselves, depending on whether the sort of the MHC compatibility is kind of a technical term, uh, major histocompatibility complex. But we can also tell a bit about their personality, possibly their age, possibly their health status to a certain degree. And all of this stuff has sort of been communicated almost, you know, under the radar, subliminally, unconsciously, yet nevertheless is probably impacting on our person perception that we'd probably say, well, uh, you know, I don't like the look of them but maybe it's as much I don't like the smell of somebody that's driving our choice and behaviour. So why does the brain work this way in relation to smells? Why do odours change our mood, even make us happy for a brief period? Why do smells seem to be so tightly bound up in our emotional states and also the judgments we make about other people? Thomas Hummel says that part of the story here is that the parts of the brain that analyse smell sit very closely to the parts of the brain associated with memory formation and the processing of fear. This is the area of the brain known as the limbic system. When we look at the sense of smell specifically, there seems to be a very clear and direct connection to the limbic system, just anatomically. You have the nose, so you have the, the nerve, 
it's the olfactory nerves, they're connected to the olfactory bulb. That's a structure that's sitting between your eyes. And from there, the connections, the fibers, they go directly to the entorhinal cortex, to the piriform cortex, to the amygdala. And the amygdala, the piriform cortex, they are very much involved in emotional processing. And you also go through the hippocampus. And so it's a very direct anatomical connection. And this alone, I think, explains these more or less direct, clear effects that the sense of smell has on our emotions. You know, when I smell coffee, this is emotional for me. Mm -hmm. like, or I smell like people farting in the street. This is also very emotional, you know. <laughs> in addition to links between smell, memory and good and bad emotional reactions, researchers also believe there may be an association between a good sense of smell and good cognitive function. Earlier, Thomas Hummel told us about links between the sense of smell and experiences of depression. He also conducted a study where some participants in their 70s did smell training for six months to strengthen their ability to smell things, while other participants did Sudoku tasks. Thomas Hummel says this research points to some interesting results. What we found in this study was that people in a Sudoku task, they there was no change in, in the parameters that we looked at. But with the olfactory training task, they became better in olfactory function. You have to remember these were 73-year-old people. And they improved in olfactory function. They became cognitively better. That was a very surprising thing, that actually their verbal fluency became better. In the meantime, we followed this up, and others too, also a group in Sweden, saw the same thing. When you expose yourself to odors, then your verbal abilities become better. Uh, so that was another major finding of this study. We also asked people about their cognitive age, how they felt, and they said they would feel on average like six years younger, people in the affected training group. Rachel Hurst says research is continuing to find some kind of link between cognitive function and a person's ability to smell things. You know, first of all, there are neurological diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease that are very much connected to smell function and losing your sense of smell is often decades before other symptoms appear, the first warning sign of the fact that this is um, happening to you. And so if you are, let's say, from the age of 40 onward, you really should be paying attention to how well you can smell. And if you suddenly notice that or other people are noticing that you aren't able to detect or identify smells well, that you should potentially get neurologically checked. But in addition to that, maintaining healthy cognition, just maintaining good memory, good thinking skills, good sort of whole functioning of your brain, especially as we get older, is very much tied to having a good sense of smell. And this seems to be basically part of the whole neuroplasticity story where the more activation you have, the more input you have from your environment, the better your brain health and your cognition is going to be overall. So the researchers I've spoken to are suggesting that the impact that smells have on our lives and on our happiness is quite profound, extending well beyond what I ever could have imagined. But there are limits limits on what research has been able to prove so far, limits on how much certain studies can be trusted and limits on what smelling pleasant things can achieve for our mental health. First, with the limits on research. Charles Spence concedes that some of the earlier studies, particularly on aromatherapy, well, not so great. In the past, you know, almost whatever the area, uh, I guess sample sizes tend to have been lower than we might 
wish for today. I think that kind of criticism applies across many different areas. They're not specifically just related to uh, aromatherapy and smells and so on. But I mean, one of my fa- sort of favorite examples about well-being and, and, and scent from my book, Sense Hacking, is, is these studies of these patients who are on long-term uh, sleeping tablets. So they're elderly patients in a care facility. They've been taking sleeping tablets for years. Um, but these sleeping tablets, while they might knock you out, they don't necessarily give you the right kind of sleep uh, that we need to uh, for recovery. Yeah, sometimes they don't let you have REM sleep. They they can kind of stop rapid eye movement sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that these patients are taken off these long term sleeping tablets, and then after a week, they're the room in which they're sleeping is scented with lavender, and the results suggest they have a you know, much better sleep through this natural olfactory solution rather than the sort of the chemical medical one. That sounds great. But then when you look at the details, there are only three patients involved. That's clearly not enough to make sort of strong generalizations. No, that sounds quite anecdotal. Yeah, appears in a good journal though. But um, these things should be repeated with larger samples. Part of the challenge here is there are so many different kinds of lavender or of peppermint or of citrus and hence nailing. It's hard to compare them. Yeah, so if you find that uh, what particular lavender product that you've bought doesn't aid well-being, is it because it was that particular kind of lavender that was used? Is it because it was synthetic rather than natural? The amount of research that one needs to do just kind of explodes. Um, and I think in contrast to what one sees in sort of medical research where there is you know funding and, and interest to do the very large-scale, double-blind, randomised control trials, like kind of the gold standard there's no one really interested in funding that kind of research. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I actually published a paper in 2009 that went through all of the so-called literature on aromatherapy. Most of the papers that I reviewed had to be totally thrown out because they were either underpowered, not controlled. So for example, there was no comparison group. But among the ones that did have sufficiently appropriate methodology, you could see, for instance, response and effect. Now, one of the things is causality versus correlation. So for instance, that is something that one has to also be very careful about in any kind of behavioral research is, you know, do you see things going together as a function of the fact that they happen to happen together, but you don't know sort of which is the chicken and which is the egg. And so that is something that one also has to be very cautious about as well. The other thing is the hype versus reality on aromatherapy. I've seen aromatherapy marketing discussing how certain scents can prompt the brain to release neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Serotonin is one of the neurotransmitters, or brain chemicals, that antidepressants try to target, sometimes by making more of it available to be absorbed by the brain. This is because serotonin may play a role in reducing depression. But despite the links that those selling aromatherapy make between us smelling something and the brain's release of neurotransmitters, Dr Rachel Hurst stresses that odours do not appear to work the way pharmaceuticals do on the brain. Aromatherapy works, but it doesn't work the way most aromatherapy proponents would have you believe. That is to say, there's no kind of pharmacological mystical, magical effect of you smell something, anyone is going to have a response like I just gave you a shot of something and it sort of just works on your brain and your body in some sort of absolute way. That is not how it works at all. How it works is that 
as a function of the fact that the area of the brain that processes emotion and associations and memories is actually the exact same area of the brain that the conscious perception of smell takes place in. As a function of that extreme neural interaction between emotion, association, and smell, as soon as you smell something, it can trigger, if you have a past personal experience with it, an emotional association. So if you have, for instance, a invigorating positive association to the scent of blue spruce, for instance, as soon as you smell it, you are going to get that emotional reactivity. That emotional reactivity is going to set off the same sort of neurochemistry, neurohormonal, physiological effects as if you were, you know, something happened to you in some kind of other way that made you feel happy and invigorated. Which brings me to the final point. Yes, our sense of smell is great. And yes, it can bring great joy but there are limits to what smell-induced happiness can achieve when combating some mental health conditions. If you talk about symptoms of depression, they can be modified by the sense of smell. So this is what we see in our studies and also others. But when you talk about clinical depression, then the picture is very different. Then odors may have an effect, but it has not been shown. Um, Because the, the effects that depression has on our on, on these patients, they are so strong, and they, in most cases, well, what we see or what we had in our study, these were clinical cases, they need to have psychopharmacological treatment, and then um, maybe in a situation where they have been treated, and when their symptoms, their major symptoms of depression, they are sort of um, decreased, then odors may play a role that may help them to further improve the the mood or the signs of depression. Maybe then, then it comes in. But as a, as a first route to treat major depression, this would be nonsensical. All of that said, being more aware of the smells in your world, thinking about their impact on your mood, and even trying to use them to give you a mental break or to boost your mood, that's something researchers say might be worth trying. Too often we sort of go around and, and really sort of ignore our senses or don't think about them. For those who are feeling down or stressed, maybe it's worth thinking, you know, what sort of olfactory environment do I find myself in now? And is that in part contributing to my mental state? Is it time to change the environment, put a different fragrance in the space, or, you know, to go out there and smell the flowers and smell nature? What you should do is recognize your own self, sort of by paying attention to what smells in your world and your life make you feel good, is then developing your own personal apothecaries. Now, one caution that I have to bring up, though, is that our sense of smell is basically a change detector. So it recognizes when there's something new. And then if that new thing hangs around, it stops sort of registering that you're detecting it. Use a scent sort of carefully and judiciously and, you know, only once in a while. So don't, like, I don't smell these scents that are on my desk every day by any means. Only when I really want to get into a specific mood state do I smell them. My advice would be that for in everyday life, you should smell more. <laughs> you should enjoy smells more. You should pay more attention to smells. And this is, makes you happier. I think this makes you more emotional. And I think it's not just related to pleasant odors. It can also be unpleasant odors. Every odor produces some trace of emotion in you, and this is, is changing you. That is Professor Thomas Hummel from the University of Dresden Medical School. 
You also heard from neuroscientist Dr. Rachel Herz from Brown University and experimental psychologist Professor Charles Spence from Oxford University. He's also the author of a book called Sense Hacking. That's it for All in the Mind this week. This episode was reported and produced by Erica Voles, with additional producing from Rose Kerr. Our sound engineer was Roy Huberman. I'm Sana Kadar. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.